Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, Ask the Strategists. I'm Jake Burns, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Ishit Vashrajani and Brian Landerman. It was good to expand on last week's conversation, really diving into being intentional about your decisions and having a strategy that supports the direction you're trying to go. So we had a pretty good uh, debate going last episode on whether or not to outsource. And, uh, you know, we continued talking after that last episode a little bit, and uh, we realized that maybe we weren't in complete agreement uh, at the conclusion. So we're going to uh, go a little deeper this time on the same subject. I mean, I think we were really talking about whether it's the right strategy to treat external, for lack of a better word, resources, folks on your team that may not be full-time employees, whether or not you know you should treat them the same or differently um, as a strategy. And I think there's good points on both sides. First of all, what do we agree on? I think what we agreed on was um, that being intentional and having strategies, and there are certain scenarios where it makes sense. Uh, And it's not a clear cut, don't do it or do it. It's about do it for the right reasons. And so I think it'll be great if today maybe we dig down a little deeper based on our experience and what we have seen with other customers on what are some of those reasons uh, that you actually uh, look externally to partner or outsource. Yeah. And I I mean, I think one of the things that was important for me that um, I realized might have been underlying in my thinking was uh, related to the idea that um, we need to think differently about how we proceed. So if we're, if we're taking a step back and looking at um, what we're doing now and why we're doing it, let's make sure that we're not um, unnecessarily carrying forward old uh, or unintentional reasons, right? And, and that um, the kind of scenarios that, that the three of us talked through were all very specific. It was like, well, here's the problem and here's why it makes sense to... Um, you know, to leverage contractors or outsource partners um, in this scenario, but it was it was very situational, and I think that's a really important clarification. Right. So, first of all, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that uh, it makes sense to utilize um, contractors, consultants, etc. Um, at least some of the time, right? I mean, none of us are against doing that completely, right? No, and I've I've done it too. So, yes, I agree. Uh, so I think my whole point was, um, you know, especially when doing a large transformation project, uh, the, 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 your full-time employees, the morale of that team and the attitude that that team has towards the transformation is a critical, uh, factor in your success. And so I think what I was arguing for was kind of making them, um, you know, relying on them as much as possible to build their skill set and to be hands-on throughout that journey rather than outsource that functionality. And in contrast, using the um, outsourced uh, resources as both a way to take away the undifferentiated work to free up your full-time employee's time and also to bring in experts not to do the work for them, uh, not to replace them and be very clear about those things, but instead to kind of allow them to learn and grow and utilize them in that manner. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that, Jake. And I think what you're really saying, though, is is taking a long-term view on um, the challenge, right? So the short-term view might be to deliver the project or whatever whatever initiative you're working on. The long-term is, well, we need to support it and operate it, and so we need to have the skills long-term to to continue this thing forward. And so, yeah, leveraging partners and 
and trainings and, and that sort of thing to make that happen. I totally agree. I think one uh, one more uh, uh, ways where I've seen um, it's important to partner um, is when you're trying to lift something up uh, in a new region uh, or you have a global coverage requirement and you don't have ability to go and hire and scale and establish entities there, or sometimes, uh, in in my case, one of the things that uh, we had to rely on was uh, very region-specific know-how, expertise, and relationships, right? So if you're launching a new office, launching a new channel, you want to even basic things like having worked with ISPs in that region, right? Figuring out what the building and facilities laws were to make sure that what we were doing uh, met those standards. I think this is another area that I've seen having global team helps. Uh, And the second part is the global coverage, right? There are certain uh, applications, products that you run, certain workloads. You have operation that are around the clock and you want support for them. Um, That is also where having uh, a a partner that can provide that follow the sun coverage has been helpful for me. Mm. All right. Yeah. And another point that I think you made uh, after we stopped recording last time was uh, the whole uh, uh, subject of contract to hire, uh, which I love to do that. I think that's my primary, my preference for hiring. Um, you don't buy a car without test driving it, you know. <laughs> I mean, why would you commit to, I mean, I, and I think we all agree on this, right? I mean, uh, who you allow onto your team, uh, you know, you should be somewhat protective of that. And you don't want to let kind of uh, someone who's not a good cultural fit or, or other otherwise not a good fit onto your team because then, you know, that could cause a lot of problems. So, but you also don't want to take a long time to hire people and you don't want to scale very slowly. So I think that the contract to hire model kind of solves both of those problems and achieves a good balance. And so I'm a proponent of that for sure. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits to that approach. I think um, you named a couple of them, right? But the speed speed to get somebody in the door, I think is that's one of the hardest things we're all facing. And the contract to hire approach, you can typically get a contractor in much much faster than you can hire a full time person. And and yeah, to your point, if it's not if it doesn't work out, the, there's some flexibility in there. So I definitely like that. I think advice I would give though is that you've got to you have to get good at that, mm. right? You have to choose the right partners and. Um, have a good kind of vetting process so that you're not constantly in the I have a contractor that's not working out scenario because you're you know you end up spinning there's a lot of cost to that and and so I think you've got to um, if that's going to be part of your strategy you have to treat it as a discipline and 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 work to become very good at, at leveraging that type of talent I think one more uh, one more reason that um, I have used uh, partners for is, I feel that it's as a leader, it is your uh, responsibility that you have, if you're building a team, you have some visibility into the possibility of long-term prospect for that team. Um, And so if I'm unclear on the longevity aspect of what I'm trying to do, whether it is working on a new idea or a product or something, um, I would rely on partners there uh, to be able to prove out and have the agility and flexibility to pull the plug if I need to, if that did not work out. Hmm. Uh, so I think that's the other sort of good reason in my mind uh, to partner where uh, you're placing bets on certain things and you don't know if this is you know six months, eight months, a year, or this is a viable business that's going to go on and you can sustain full-time team for a period of time. 
Right. And so the point last time where I think there might have been a little bit little bit of disagreement was on whether you treat them as if they were a full-time member of your team. And in thinking about that, I kind of I realized, you know, on the one hand, a lot of our customers are struggling with this. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of teams out there, they're going through transformations and they see con- kind of contractors and partners coming in as a threat. This is a reality, right? But on the other hand, what you're saying makes sense because even if you're if you're not doing a contract to hire, but they're just a temporary kind of burst capability, uh, you still want there to be alignment and cooperation and, and all of that as well. And so what occurred to me was um, the real issue here is trust. Do you have, does your team uh, trust you as a leader to not be bringing in their replacements, so to speak, but to kind of um, be bringing them in for their benefit to help them? And I think if you have that trust established, then you can you can do it the way you were describing and be very successful with it. And so that was kind of an aha moment for me and shit. Yeah, I think that's the you, that's the point I was making, Jake. Is that once you, once you have folks uh, working on something, regardless of where they come from or regardless of how long they are going to be with you, uh, they all have to feel like they're part of the team and they are working towards a common goal. And that's the culture that uh, I played a price on, right? Meaning that has to be a table stake uh, to be part of the team. And I think that mattered a lot. But you're right that it has to be a high trust environment. You can't, it it does not happen by just saying and wishing for it. You have to uh, show it in your action and make sure that uh, you're truly bringing it for the right reason. And then you're communicating it. I think the the bigger issue that happens in in a lot of uh, these kind of deals is that there is a surprise, right? And uh, and when you have a large team, it's important to um, be be able to stand up and and explain, even if not defend the decision you are making, and then be authentic and transparent about why you're doing it, because I think that builds trust. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you want everyone on the team, regardless of who their employer is, right, to care deeply about the quality of the solution and the value to the business. And so I think what you're talking about is absolutely correct. I, I think the other thing that we talked about, though, that is applicable here and, and also in, you know, what's, what's the right model, the consideration of the time horizon, right? So to your, your point earlier about the example of, well, hey, this is a new thing and we're not sure, if it's going to pan out. And if you're bringing in contractors, if it's for a short period of time, do you invest all this energy into the culture and the trust if, you know, you're really like, hey, I just need this finite thing accomplished over you know, a short period of time? Because one of the other models we talked about was similar to, to one we mentioned, but, but bootstrapping a team. It takes me a long time to, to hire a new team. I know that I want to hire a full-time team though. I can use contractors to start getting work done and and use a you know shoulder to shoulder kind of expand the team and split where the contractors split off and and their contract ends where the team then carries forward with the rest like again based on the time horizon of needing to get moving quickly and the known goal of i i need a long-term team so i think in all of these scenarios whether it's culture or or the model it's like what is your what is your time horizon what is what is known and then we work from there if I can throw one more in, and it just occurred to me, we talked about sort of uh, specialized skills, right? Uh, but I've also seen it work where you want to infuse uh, just a different thinking, right? So for example, we worked with uh, uh, a 
partner. Um, they are also partner of AWS. Uh, and they work only in insurance industry, uh, nothing to do with media. But they were building models to predict the likelihood of basically assign a score to your policy and likelihood of that defaulting, right? And I had this idea that we could come up with a number, almost like Moneyball, for the content, right, for a show. Because there are many things you're trying to balance, right? What is the value of uh, overall brand in producing a piece of content? Some shows do make a lot of money, but then viewers don't like it, right? Some have crazy viewership numbers, but they actually are not very profitable. Uh, so was there a way to arrive at a single number uh, that kind of considered some of these things? And in talking to many, many different people uh, within the industry, it it wasn't something that uh, many people had thought about, right? So I came across these folks. They were doing something similar in insurance, had no idea about media industry, but they understood because they were working on collecting several parameters in insurance, right, about basically assigning a risk probability and a number to it. Um, and so we worked with them very closely. They benefited from sort of our experience and expertise on media. Our team loved working with them because they could sit all day and talk about, you know, how to value and evaluate content. And they could explain our team how to actually take all these different things and, and build a model around it, right? So that's, I think, another reason where you want to infuse sort of an external thinking to bring outside ideas in the team. Yeah. So I love that. And I'm, I might be opening a can of worms here, but um, your story reminded me of, of my own experience. Kind of, it's actually very similar. So the can of worms is, I think that when we're talking about data and machine learning, I kind of changed my perspective on working with partners and contractors because, you know, what you're talking about is there are people that have the skills to build the models, but they don't possess the data and industry experience that you do. And the data and industry experience is your like defensible position, right? In the, in the industry. And, you know, if they have access to the data, like you have to be really careful about where that goes and how that plays out because you're, um, you know, if, if they have access to the, if, if they're able to reuse that model, right. And you've bootstrapped it with all of your data that, that could be problematic. So there's, I think there's some deeper IP issues mm -hmm. when we get into data machine learning. Um, and it's really interesting about how that works with partners. Cause I, I had a similar situation. There was an insurance, like we, we wanted to, so we had auctions, vehicle auctions and, um, spend tons of time and money evaluating vehicles that come through the lane and giving them a, a vehicle condition report. And it was like, well, couldn't we just build a model that takes all the pictures and says, hey, here's, here's the condition of the vehicle. And there was somebody that was doing it insurance for automotive. And it was like, well, look, why can't we just take their models? And the granularity didn't line up, whatever. I wrote a, whole, uh, a blog post about it. You can go read about it. But um, it was that conversation of, well, hang on. Like, we need to figure out the legalese involved in this because I think it's um, that tends to be different and I don't know that there's a, a, I don't know that folks have a deep enough understanding of like data and machine learning to, it feel, feels to me anyway, nuanced from like a traditional, hey, build this piece of software. Anyway, sorry, there's my can of worms and my. What was the title of that blog post, Brian? That blog post is called Machine Learning, Avoiding Garbage In, Garbage Out. I mean, both you guys just made really good points. I mean, a shit, I think what you're talking about is the, really the benefit of diversity, diversity of uh, ideas, um, you know, and, and, and why you want that 
Um, so you don't keep doing the same old thing over and over again. You need to mix it up a bit sometimes. And that's where real creativity comes from. Right. And Brian, you're talking about, um, and I think this applies more to more things than just, um, you know, data analytics. This applies to just about any competitive advantage you have and kind of was what I was trying to say originally, which was, you know, I want to invest in the folks that are going to stick around long term so that I could get that compounding effect of their uh, capabilities growing over time. And I don't necessarily want to invest in people who are temporary because, you know, they may go to your competitor, they may go anywhere else, right? So it just makes more sense to invest in, in your own people as much as possible. Yeah, that Jake, that makes me think of um, kind of Amazon's approach. And I'm, I'm not speaking on, uh, you know, the official um, kind of position, but more just as an outsider, right? Thinking about my hiring experience and how it's different. Like Amazon, you know, it's you're, you're kind of signing on for four years. And so there's a from the beginning, you know, we talk about thinking long term, like from the beginning, you come on board and it's like, you, you know what the next four years kind of looks like, right, for compensation and whatever else. And it's, and there's a huge investment up front in, in training and like the onboarding process. And it is very interesting because it does fit the culture. It fits leadership principles, but it is about what you're talking about is that, that long term and like, hey, look, like, wouldn't it be amazing if you could hire some great people and get at least four years out of them? Right. And I'm not saying I don't know what the average turnover and whatever else is, but I suspect less than that. Yeah, I do too. But which, which is interesting because we're willing to invest that amount. And it's a, it's not a trivial amount of effort that we put into new hires. Right. Right. It's a, it's it's considerable. We, we train people very well. I mean, we we tend to bring in high performers and then we train them really well. Uh, and that's a good combination. And a lot of them will leave after a short period of time. This is just the reality. And we're willing to accept that because that's part of the investment that we make. Um, and, and it pays off in those people that, that stick with it. No, I agree. And I think my, my point was kind of like, it feels like an intentional strategy. It feels like the pieces were put together on purpose to say, I, high likelihood I'm going to get a good, a solid two years out of you know a, a really great hire, but I've put something in place to try and get four you know, at minimum. And it's... I just think it's interesting. It's different than what I've seen, but it goes back to your point about kind of like having a strategy, being intentional about it, investing in your people. I, I definitely see some of that at Amazon that feels different than what I've seen elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing there is the is the ownership, right? I think it's the sense of ownership. Mm -hmm. You can that's that's I think fundamentally the difference, and people stick around when they feel that they have ownership uh, in creating something uh, and then they are empowered to actually go and build what they want to create and own it. And I think that's the right reason. I have actually, you know, you, you bring up a good point around turnover and maybe that's another episode that we should do. Mm, uh, yeah. Because I have, de I have debated uh, quite a bit uh, uh, around this with HR and others uh, that not all turnover is bad and you know it's actually a healthy amount of turnover is actually good that's a great subject actually i know we, do that. we should probably <laughs> uh, push that to another episode um but i love it let's let's dive into that um so if we were to kind of put a bow to it and figure out like we, we discussed some really good reasons to uh uh where partnering and outsourcing actually uh, could be beneficial and right reasons to do it uh so i was thinking maybe we should 
should take a stab at summarizing it because there's so much that I learned out of this discussion. Yeah, and there's there's another point that I really enjoyed uh, talking with you guys uh, last time about that didn't make it uh, while the recorders were on, and it's kind of a subtle one, but I think it's 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 kind of diving deep here, which is you know that there's there's two things going on and they're not necessarily in sync, and and maybe they should be, maybe they shouldn't be. One is you know there are realities to um, your ability to hire full time employees within a company. You know there are barriers. And the truth is that it's easier to hire contractors almost all of the time. And so you have this kind of uh, timing with um, when you can hire, but then you also have timing when the people you want are available. And so it kind of like the way we're doing it now, most companies are doing it now, you have to get extremely lucky for those two things to line up. Should we be reliant on that? Or should we be more flexible in our hiring approach? Like for example, should we have a strategy that when there's somebody who's a 10 out of 10, just the perfect person, whether or not we have a need for them right now, we should hire them. I mean, that might be a good strategy, right? And we just know that at some point we're going to have work for them rather than waiting until we have the open head count and all the approvals and everything, and then just grabbing the best qualified person at that moment. I mean, I think that that might feel good from a company perspective. I think the reality for the individual is that if you take a 10 out of 10 and you don't give them fulfilling, challenging, meaningful work, it's hit or miss in terms of their flow. Like you're not going to retain the person. So while I, I love that idea, I think in practice, I've seen that fail more than succeed personally. I, I totally agree with you, Brian. A superstar isn't going to come in for an undefined, uh, unclear role in the future. You know, so if you have the perfect hire, figure out like what's the best way to position them and then make sure because I've seen where hiring has happened to Brian, your point. I've seen many examples just because there is an amazing candidate and then like we'll figure something out or here is a role that got created for them. But there wasn't then a long-term support or enough meat and substance behind it, and then it 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 does not work out well for anyone, you know. So I'm not. I agree with the point that you're making, Jake, in terms of uh, rethinking this, right? Sort of not that hey, let's oh, we have headcount, so go and look for it, versus really looking at talent a little bit differently. I agree with that. But I think it, it, it has to be done in a much more mindful manner. And maybe there is another episode because I would love to talk about the headcount itself um, as to how headcount should be treated and how we should think about headcount. That is another topic that I've seen come up often with our customers as well. When they are mm-hmm. thinking about building the team and transforming from existing on-premises infrastructure and ways of doing things to the new way of doing things. As we all know, the roles are different. The compensation is different. The leveling is different. And the way the traditional headcounts are um, structured, reported, uh, and, and, and managed is not something that will work, right? So yeah. I have actually debated quite a bit around uh, not treating headcount as here is a level, here's a director headcount, right? Well, if I can take a director headcount and I really need two engineers then you know I should be able to do that, and if I have two engineer headcount and I need a director, I should be able to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that would be fun. That would be a fun conversation for sure. Jake, though, going back to what you were talking about with contractors and being easy to hire, and you made me think of something that I think is 
important to, to maybe surface, which is fulfilling a short-term need, right, versus putting in a long-term sustainable plan, I think is, is a challenge for, for many businesses. Um, I, like, so I'll give you the example in my mind is like college hires. If you really want a, a flow of college graduates from, from great colleges that are good matches for your organization and to, to build a relationship with the college, like that takes time. That's a, that's a sustained effort over many years and it will not yield results early on. And, you know, I think if you, you know, back to your, your comment about like you're in a challenging location, there's, there's competitive pressures or whatever else. And so it's hard to hire. And so contractors become your near term solution to your near term problem. I think that's okay, but you have to in parallel build that long term pipeline, you know, build that brand recognition and, and, or, or build that relationship with your colleges so that you have that long-term flow. And I think one of the challenges that I know we saw at, at Cox Automotive, and I, I think a lot of organizations probably face, is there's fluctuations, right, in, in how the business is doing. And, and so there's, you know, maybe, maybe you pause hires or you cut some hires. And so the, the actual hiring in flow of hires into the business is not consistent. And so it becomes very difficult to create that sustained momentum and, and presence. And I think that that to me is one of the, the reasons that contractors and, and partners kind of exist is because that is a real business problem. Um, and there isn't a, there isn't a great solution to that, you know? And, and so I, we found ourselves kind of restarting, you know, never really getting that college um, pipeline going because we couldn't sustain it. We couldn't commit to it over the long term just because of the nature of the business. And so I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth, right? Where I'm saying, hey, you should do this in parallel and do this thing. And also recognizing <laughs> that that's really hard to do. Brian, the voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good point, though. I love what you talked about, Brian, in terms of building that brand and investing into pipeline. I, I used to say that as a leader, everyone on the team, A, Everyone is a sales leader. You're selling something, right, all the time. And I don't mean it in a, I mean it in a way that you're actually trying to convince and get support for whatever that you're trying to do. And second, you are always hiring. It's not about whether you have a, you know, whether, whether you're actively hiring or not. You're always keeping an eye on the good talent, see where they're going, who's moving where and who's attracting who, right? Uh, and so, one of the things that we often hear from customers when they come and let's say speak at our events or participate in panels or or at reinvent one reason but like i did in the past was actually to build that brand uh so that in the community when i'm going and looking for folks with aws skills i wanted to make sure that mm -hmm. uh there was an awareness of the kind of work that we were doing that will make it attractive for people to go and say, well, I would like to work on that. Yes. And that's kind of where I was going with my, my kind of crazy idea of, you know, always hire the person, um, when you find them. Um, it's this idea that, like you said, you know, you're always recruiting. Um, this is a 24 by seven job if you're a leader, um, because you never know when that perfect fit is going to come along. And if you're just giving yourself this really short window, of, you know, between when you get the head count and you want to onboard the person, right. um, it's just, you're just relying on luck at that point, you know, to an extent. So maybe, you know, you're, you, what you said about the, the pitfalls of that are true, but 
Um, I think there's still something there. Like it's a, there's gotta be a way around that problem. And I think contract to hire is a big one. You know, I used it as kind of a cue, like there'll be a great, you know, you hire a bunch of contractors are really easy to onboard and they're on a somewhat temporary basis. And then you have that pool to draw from when you get that headcount and you can kind of try to convert those folks. And and at that point, you know them better as well. I mean, look, Jake, so I agree with what you just said, but I do think that what you're proposing is doable. I think with all of these things that we're talking about, you need, right? You need a strategy, you need to be intentional. Um, so like, yeah. what, are you, what are you doing with that person that is the, you know, the 10 out of 10? Like what, what is your internal mechanism to shepherd them through and to get them into a long-term role and to keep them engaged. In, right. So you can, you can absolutely build that you, but you can't take the 10 out of 10 without that and expect it to, to pan out. I think that was what Ishit and I were talking about, but I, I think you're right. I completely agree with you. And, and I think there, you have to have strategies for this, right? So like in a very big company, you may be able to pull this off better because, you know, and this happens at Amazon as well. You sometimes, you know, you interview someone and maybe, you know, they're, they're def- clearly a high performer. They're clearly a, a great potential Amazonian, but maybe not for your role. So you pass them off to another hiring manager that, you know, you just don't want to lose that opportunity of getting that great person. Yeah. So I think if we, uh, on this topic, if we were to close it out, uh, I think my takeaways were, um, there are there are good reasons to do that. Make sure that you're doing it for the good reasons, not just because you've always operated that way, right? Uh, and some of the good reasons are, hey, I want to surge, uh, have a temporary surge to tackle, you know, some extra work or maybe uh, accelerate a launch. Um, you want to get specialized skills, uh, outside thinking. Uh, you need global coverage or you are trying to operate or build new businesses in a new region where you don't have the know-how or the ability to scale up quickly. Um, and there are, you know, those are the ones that sort of I took away. I mean, that's, you know, Brian, you. Yeah, I know. I, I think that's great. I think, you know, what we talked about was that there's value in the agility that these models provide. It's all about knowing when that agility is worthwhile and when it's not. Right. Yeah. And my biggest takeaway here is that that trust component, you know, I think the way that I was approaching this before was, you know, um, rather than directly address that trust component, just kind of work around it. Um, but I think if you can solve that trust, um, you know, issue uh, and ensure that you have high degree of trust with your team, then you can have that flexibility um, with, with kind of mixing the temporary and permanent workers and having that cohesion and that alignment. So, you know, whether you're going through a transformation or building, you know, like an innovation lab, either way, you know, you're going to, you're going to need that trust with your team in order to be successful. It'll be great to know from our audience if we missed any good reason and couldn't think of something. It would. Yeah. I would love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or Hey, have we got it wrong? You know? Uh, do you have a different point of view? That would be great. Yeah. Somebody please, uh, uh, throw a monkey wrench into this for us because <laughs> we can't keep agreeing. The more we talked about this, the more I realized this is a conversation we could have for weeks. I look forward to exploring more of these topics in the future. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and remember to submit your questions on our enterprise strategy blog or directly to us on LinkedIn. We'll do our best to answer them in future episodes. See you next time.